Welcome to the Renew Life Church Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Hello. Thank you so much, Stephen. Is that right? Did I say it wrong? What's his name? So why, why are you all laughing then? I don't even know my own children's names. I get them all mixed up all the time, so nothing strange for me. Right, Abigail? Abigail, come here. This is my, my favorite grandchild. I'm raising, a, I'm raising three grandchildren. She's not one of them. She has her own mom and dad, but I, I'm raising three grandkids, and I've got an eight-year-old, and I keep telling her I love her, and she, she, she's becoming my favorite. She says, no, Abigail's your favorite. She tells me every day. This is Abigail. Say hi. Hi. Why are you my, why are you my favorite? Um, I don't know. Oh. She's been around the world. This child has had a very hard life. She's a road elephant. She's swam with dolphins. She's played with cheetahs. She's shot kangaroos. She's ridden camels in Israel. And she's, she's had a hard life, haven't you? Very hard. Go sit down. It's enough. She's, she's homeschooled. And when she was, until she was about 12, she asked her, what are you going to be in your big? A prophet. Now she's, no, she's crossed over the teenage alien section right now. So... <laughs> And she will return. I, I know this from experience. All right. I want to thank you all very much, especially the leadership. Thank you for the wonderful privilege of being here. I, I don't take it lightly. For me, it was an enormous privilege for many reasons. It's just to be as your serve you is a great privilege. But to be in a church that is so dynamic and so effective in God's kingdom, and I see the future. I see where you've come from, but I see more what's ahead of you, and it's fantastic. You have such an exciting future. I envy you in many, many ways because God's going to reuse you, reuse you in a profound impact. I mean, just a whole new energy and vision and purpose will, be, will come out. Just like Hillsong affected the world of music, so you're going to affect God for the whole world in many ways, and especially the spiritual ways. A standard will be raised up. All right. God is good and the devil can go to hell. And he will. Believe me, he will. I would like you to turn your Bibles very fast, if you have them with you, to the book of Acts, chapter 15. Acts 15, verse 32. I want to get the right translation. I've got so many translations here. Get the uh, new interesting version, the one I use the most. You know the new interesting version? NIV? Ever heard of it? 15. Now, you all know Paul was a, an apostle. He was first a prophet, and then he was an apostle, but uh, we, he traveled with uh, Barnabas. That was an interesting man. Barnabas, it was a whole family, the Bible's full of Barnabas' family. You know, Mark and him had a fight. That was his nephew. His mother was the woman that had the house when Peter was released from prison in Acts 12. That then when they were praying, they all for him and he went to the house and knocked on the door and they didn't open the door and they were praying for him. That was, his, that was Mark's mother's house, Barnabas' sister. And Barnabas was the one who was such a, a stable, good, dependable man. He went to go get Paul. Paul had a very interesting life too. He was born in, Tar- in Tarsus, a different place, far from Israel. He had to come there and he was, he was very adamant to, to serve the Jewish faith and stamp out this, uh, this 
this sect, this strange religion. He was doing it from the bottom of his heart. He was sincere but wrong. And of course, on the road, he left Israel, going to all the synagogues as far as he could reach with authority, and he wanted to stamp out the Christianity. He meets God on this Damascus road, has a severe turnaround. He's so severely turned around that they're all Christians are all excited about him. He goes back to Jerusalem. He's got to, he's got to tell the, he's got to tell Sanhedrin, I've made a big mistake. You guys don't make this mistake. Get it, get it straight. And so Paul gets, suddenly gets persecuted, and they want to all kill him. So the Christians, the church in Jerusalem, ship him out to, and they say, Barnabas, get rid of him, take him out of here. And Barnabas is the fellow that gets him back to Tarsus and there, there he's back at home for a while and it's all very quiet and, and they get worried about him spiritually so they send Barnabas again to go and get him Did you, know, you all know this right, this is all in the Bible They send Barnabas again to go and get him, but this time they take, they take him to Antioch, because Antioch was a vibrant, prosperous city. It was extremely wealthy, and they had these estuaries of rivers that would be good for trade, and they were doing so well financially. The synagogues were popping up. Is wherever's money, there's Jews always, believe me. And, then where, the, and where the Jews are, it's true. It's true. <laughs> Can't help it, sorry. And so where the Jews... Jews were so they got converts and Christians in the big church there. So they sent Paul there to that church, and he was there for 14 years in Antioch. And that's where he launched his ministry from. Now, I'm reading, that, and he traveled with Barnabas, and they had an argument about Mark. And Paul had very strong ideas, as you might well through. Most of our doctrines come from Paul. 80% of our doctrines come from him in the church. He, was, he didn't even meet Christ physically, personally, and he was just a man of the Spirit, a very devoted man. Never got married, he was devoted to God all the way through. And then, of course, Barnabas and him separate ways. And then he meets up with Silas, and they travel together. And Silas, you don't hear much about his ministry, but here it is in black and white. It says in, in Acts 15, verse 32, it says here, Judas and Silas, this is another Judas that you know, who themselves were prophets. Silas himself being a prophet said much to encourage and strengthen the brethren. Now, they had been sent with the letters for the churches, the Gentiles, because such a debate was going on about should the Gentiles get circumcised, should they adhere to all the laws of, Israel, of the Jewish laws. Jesus never told them what to do with his converts. You know, the Lord didn't give you a book of rules. He didn't say to the guys, now this is going to be called the Beatitudes, and I want you to take notes. You guys, write, write this down. Blessed are the meek. M-E, got it? No notes. Why? Because he said, wait until Jerusalem, until the Holy Ghost has come. It's the Holy Spirit that is the enforcing the power of God. He didn't want to create another rule book. The Bible said to help us to salvation, not to split hairs and fight and debate about every doctrine you can. Are you, are you hearing me? So get, keep the Spirit of Christ. The, the, keep a relationship with the author. Love his word, but love the author more. Got it. Okay, stay with, stay with me now. So here we have, what I want to teach you is these prophets carried a letter to the Gentiles to tell them you don't have to get circumcised to become Jewish. Just do these three things we ask of you. And, the, and as they were there, they began to encourage the brethren. It says there because they were prophets. Because they were prophets, they were able to strengthen the brethren. Our concept of a New Testament prophet or prophets are people that come and correct and speak doom and gloom. It's not so. The example or the New Testament prototype of a, of a prophet, because Jesus said the law and the prophets spoke until John. That means John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Christ, started a whole new era. And that new era began with John and then Christ. He's the cornerstone of the church and the five-fold ministry in one person. He's the teacher, the good Raboni, right? He's the shepherd. 
He's the evangelist winning souls. He's the prophet. He prophesied many things, foretold many things, and he was the father, the apostle, the cornerstone, fivefold ministry in one person. And so he's our example of what a pastor, teacher, prophet, evangelist should look like. His behavior, his delivery, his methods, motivation, all of it is the example we follow, not John the Baptist. He lost his head, the man. Don't do it. Don't follow him. <laughs> Are you hearing me? Jesus is our example. So when you're looking for behavior patterns, if you feel you're called to be a prophet, copy Jesus. Be like him in everything you do. Now, having said that, he didn't focus ever on politics. And Lord Jesus, help us. There was such a political chaos in the time of the Lord. For if you understand how Israel was set up government, they had three governments, only supposed to have one. They had a government set up in the church. God wanted to rule theocratically, and he had to set up a whole tithing financial structure of a whole policing and pyramid of Sanhedrin from the high priest, which is like the Pope, the whole setup. And then they said, can we please have a king? And God gave them a king reluctantly, but he gave them. There was Saul, and he messed up, and David, and all the kings came from after that. And they paid tax to them, and he put a whole police force in, a whole army, and there was a whole another government. And then came the, the invaders, the Romans, and they were very dominant. You couldn't just overcome them. They were such a great entity and power, all in the time of our Lord Jesus. And here he is, never once did he prophesy, speak over, declare anything to the Rome, about the Romans or the politics. He didn't speak, he didn't get involved in church politics either. They confronted him, and the Sadducees tried to trick him, and he, and he only then responded about their doctrine about no life after death. So understand that the focus of our Lord Jesus was so different, he focused on one thing. Establishing the kingdom and, rest and restoring our relationship to God that had become strained. Because God created us or made us in his image to walk with him, to fellowship, to love him with all of our hearts, all of our souls, and all of our minds. Your heart does not belong to anyone else but him. God designed love. He is love. He is every way, shape, and form. He designed our hearts to be completely satisfied in him. And when we are filled with him, we are able to love someone else. We have this in love thing that I've tried to figure out all my life how this works because I've had to counsel thousands of people in my life as a pastor, minister, how people get so messed up. The most spiritual people get messed up with relationships. They go into this trauma, or this, high, this, this high, this emotional high, and then they get, they get thrown down, and they're up and down like a seesaw with, it, with all this romantic stuff. And, of course, even the song just in this country music is just so depressing. <laughs> you pick a fine time to leave me, Lucille, with four hungry children. How depressing is that? I mean, so many songs that are, I can't live without you, I need you, you know, all those things. You're not what I need. I will always love you. It's sad. It's, and they call them romantic. They're not romantic at all. They're horrible. The way God designed us that we are filled with him, and because of that, we overflow with love for someone else. Because love is not give and take. Love is give. So marriage is not give and take. God so loved the world, he gave. And when you're filled with his love, you love your husband or wife or your children because you're filled with his love. You don't expect them to love you back. You don't need them to love you back. You only need God. Love is kind and patient and seeks not its own. If you tell me you need someone, you can't live without them, you don't love them. You have a soulish bondage with them. But if you love them, you can let them go too. Because your love is satisfied in him. I don't know why I got into that. Some of you guys need to hear this. It's very important. Because you'll be unhappy all your life. The devil has got a, got a stick to beat you with. If you think you can fall in love and have emotional relationships up and down, up and down. 
Don't expect anything from anyone except God. Because, and he really does satisfy. I'm a living testimony that he satisfied. There's nobody. You've not got anything I could possibly want. I've got it all already in him. You can't take it away. You can't give it to me. He is that. Paul said, I've learned the secret of contentment. He was content. It didn't happen. He had to learn it. And it was a secret. That means it wasn't common knowledge. A secret of contentment was in him. I've learned to base and abound. I've learned to be happy because I'm happy in him. Not in my circumstances, in things around me. I don't need anything to make me happy. I'm happy. That's what God's got for you, right? Okay, good. So I want to get now. So understand. Understand this prophetically, these guys prophesied, they brought life because they were prophets, they were able to strengthen the brethren. That's the purpose, to bring life. Not to give you direction or correction, that's not the purpose. You are responsible for your own decisions, no matter how many prophecies you get. You can't go to heaven and stand before the judge and God says, now why did you do that? Well, Ed Trout came along and then, and then there was this Joe fellow from, from Amarillo and he said, and they said, and he, no, we'll, we'll get to them, God says, we're talking about you. Why do you do that? Because you're responsible for your own. You can use the prophetic, but you have to be decision and relationship enough to make your own decisions in God and be responsible for them. Are you hearing me? All right. And it's a wonderful journey. God is very gracious. He didn't save you with the expensive blood of Jesus to have you fumbling around trying to find his will. It's very easy to know his will. You have to really work hard to miss God. You've got, to work at it. You've got to work at it to miss God. The difference is, you think when you're doing God's will, everything just falls into place easily. <laughs> Look at Jesus' life. It wasn't easy at all. There were so many obstacles. They kept trying to kill him. He had stiff, one difficulty after another. He, there were people who rejected him, didn't want him. It was constant battles, battles, battles. Every time he had a battle with something, couldn't heal. He couldn't. Everything was a real fight constantly and that's 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 the lord and he's perfect in every way are you hearing me so don't think life's going to all fall into place if you're in god's will now i'm doing god's will so everything's oh god's confirmed no you're going to have your obstacles it's going to make you stronger that went well now <laughs> one more scripture one before i start prophesying i've got quite some time one first timothy 118 first timothy 118 Paul had some spiritual sons, and let me just stop there talking to you a moment about spiritual sons because this house is headed towards that in a very big way. In the 50s, if you read any kind of newspaper in this country or the microfish in the, in the, in the historical places, you will see that all newspapers showed revivals. It was a revival everywhere, and there was tents and people burning crutches and miracles and just evangelists was the big thing in the 50s. In the 60s, little storefronts popped up. Pastors started showing up. We didn't have just cathedrals. We had little, little churches everywhere. In the 70s, we had the Bob Mumfords and the Derek Princes, the teachers that would sit in a high bar stool and speak for hours and hours, teaching, teaching. The older generation know what I'm talking about. The younger ones going, what are you talking about? What, what, are, you, what are you saying? But in the 70s, in the 80s, the prophet came on the scenes. The, the Kansas City prophets, the Bill Hammonds, they came on the scene and the prophets came. And they were, with, every, with every decade, there was a shaking going on of different kinds. And so there was a shaking in the church in the 80s. And then in the 90s, God restored the apostle. The apostles, the Bible says, it's one of the signs of apostles. is signs, wonders, and miracles, and strange and phenomenal things. And they were. We had all kinds of falling on the floor and getting drunk and, and people getting gold in their hands and strange things. These were manifestations of the apostle being restored. And then from there, the fivefold ministry being restored back to the church because God's restoring. And am I getting too fast for you? I've got a whole lot to say. Acts, Acts 3 verse 21 says that the Son of God is kept in heaven until the restoration of all things. And so God restored the fivefold ministry. But one thing that's been really missing, the last verse of Malachi, 
Last verse says, And when the Spirit of Elijah comes, he'll restore the hearts of the fathers to the sons, and the sons to the fathers. And when, when, of course, when John the Baptist was born, that's where the same prophecy came again. Because he would be the first. John the Baptist and Jesus were the only people in the historical, biblicalist history that were born with the Holy Ghost. Everybody else had to wait for the Holy Ghost to come upon them. These guys had the Holy Ghost from birth, including John. Are you with me still? Stay with me. So, if you understand all the, the purpose, was I telling you about the Holy Ghost? Why was I telling you all that now? I got lost my train of thought now. What? Oh, the sons and the sons and the sons and, and, and fathers. In our country, because the devil knows where God's going, he understands the prophecies very well. He's worked very hard to destroy this country. In our country, we've been on a violent attack. It's been a very strong Christian country, I could say, because of John G. Lake. He was the main instigator in our country of the biggest revival that ever took place in this nation. We've had hundreds and, th- and th- millions of people get saved because of John G. Lake ripple effect over the years, and he came from this country. But this country's been under attack. Our our Hollywood has become the, the moral compass. Of this nation and, our, and the world. Really, it's been a total hectic thing. And then, of course, financially, the devils attacked the church, attacked the church. But they were the best, the biggest givers in the world. There's not a country in the world that gets free credit cards in the mail you didn't ask for. Constantly. Until you use them, spend money you don't have on things you shouldn't have with high interest rates. And you still have credit cards in your wallet. You started out like that. And you have debt and credit cards paying 18% in your credit, 20% in your credit card. And you can't pay your tithe. That's what happens in this country. So you, the whole cycle, it go, there's no blessing coming because you're unable to sow because you're giving it to the credit card company. It's been under violent attack. But also the families have been under attack. Homes have been bro- broken up and people getting divorced several times during a child's life. So a boy or child, a woman will grow up and have no dad. They have no dad because dad left because mom's raising you. And then the stepfather comes and then he goes and then the next one comes. So you're not sure what the father looks like. So when you get saved and you have this father in heaven, you don't know what that means really. And when you're a boy and you want to be a father, you don't know what a father should look like. It's a real difficult challenge. And that's why the hearts of the fathers are restored to the sons. So in the church, besides the fivefold ministry, discipleship and fatherhood is of vital importance. And this is where God's taken some of this leadership in this church to fatherhood, to raise, to disciple people. God didn't raise the Bible schools. The Bible school will educate and teach you, but only a discipleship can groom you. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Very important you understand how discipleship works because then you get patterned because every one of us are so unique. They try to categorize us in personality formats and characters, but the truth is each one of you, like a fingerprint, are so unique. Not one person's like the other person. You may have similar traits, but your personality is completely unique, not like anybody else. It may be only fractionally different, but it's still different. All of you are different. You're unique. God has made you. You're born the personality. You'll never change it, but you develop your character, and God will grow character in you and make your personality more conducive and acceptable to the rest of the people. Are you learning something yet? Okay. I've got a lot to tell you. I'm going somewhere. Can't get out fast enough. So... So in God's purpose to restore the fathers and sons, he's raising up fathers that are, are helping to guide and to, and, to, uh, and to, you know, there's 150 Psalms, right? And half of them David wrote. The other had written by various people. Asaph wrote a lot of them. And, and we also had Solomon write Psalms and we had Moses write Psalms. Solomon wrote, if, I, if Solomon was the wisest man on earth, I think I'd pay a lot of attention to his Psalms. In fact, you do know, all of you, the first two verses of one of his Psalms that he wrote in 137. The first two verses, the other three verses, you have no clue. Because it's common. It goes like this. Unless the Lord build a house, 
We have heard that before. We that labor, labor in vain. You recognize that verse? That's the first verse of Psalm 137. Then the second verse goes on the same theme. Then the third verse says, Blessed is the man who has many sons in his youth. Next verse says, They are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. And then the fifth verse says, And when he contends with his enemy at the gate, he will succeed because of his sons. Here's the thing. You start out building a house and you end up protecting the gate. To build God's kingdom and to have it complete and healthy, you need spiritual sons. Now, the difference between sonship and discipleship and servanthood is sons never leave you. Sons take on your DNA. They inherit. They become like you and they stand with you. Disciples come and go. They leave. Servants are gone with every little issue. No money. They're gone. Are you hearing me? So when you are a son in the house, and there are sons in this house, there are some powerful sons and some great fathers that are rising up spiritually that will help disciple people, and that's why you counsel or you walk with each person individually and you grow them in who they are and in their gifting or they're developing them as effective people of God. And that's what sonship does. That's what we're on the era we're in now. Now, Paul had different spiritual sons. He had Titus, for example, and Timothy. He called them his spiritual sons, and you can see by the language of how he spoke to them, how he was progressing them, do the work of an evangelist and he, he was keep, keep on, kept on working with Timothy was actually if a mother a son of a, his mother was a Jewish and he wanted him to get circumcised I still puzzle why because who's going to derobe him and say are you circumcised I mean, no one's there, but he wanted them to go to the Jews and, and be circumcised maybe because just of honesty's sake I don't know it's a very big puzzle to me but Timothy was his spiritual son and this is what he writes in 1 Timothy 1.18 1 Timothy 1.18 he says to him my son Timothy I charge you, I command you, I give you this strong instruction. In, with regards to the prophecies that you receive, that by them, what, them what, the prophecies, you fight the good fight of faith. As not as others have done, Apollos, and I forget the other name of the person who abandoned this and have shipwrecked their faith. Because they didn't do warfare. Now, a prophetic word has many powers, many attributes. It's not just a predictive thing. It's a creative. God calls things that are not as if they were. God said to Gideon, you're a great warrior. He said, no way. And there are things that I said this week, and I guarantee you, a lot of guys did not receive it. Now, I can't see that. That's not, it's too hard for me to comprehend. If I must say only things you agree with, I'm not any use to you. I've got to stir you up, and I've got to... Put something in your spirit. His, his word, entrance of his word brings light and it will not return to him void. It will create and build something inside of you that will produce life inside of you. That's the purpose of that word. His word, is so, his word is so powerful that John at the end of his life recaps and writes the book. Not like the other disciples. In the beginning he writes at the end. And he says, you know, let me write from the beginning. Hmm. Uh, virgin birth? Nah. Um, how about John the Baptist? Nah. Beginning. In the beginning was the word. That's how John understood the power of the word. There's power in the word. God said that there be light. Words are very powerful. You have many. You have two ears, two eyes, two nostrils, but only one mouth. The one mouth you have has got gets you in trouble all the time. Imagine if you had two. <laughs> and we've got to control our mouth. In fact, James says if we can control our mouths, we're perfect, and none of us are perfect. That means our mouths are still not completely controlled. So you've got to watch your words, and when you're a child of God... Your words are that much more powerful. 1 Samuel 3, verse 10, the boy Samuel grew and God let none of his words fall to the ground. If God made sure the words came to pass, that is so scary to me, that means you better be careful what you say. 
It's going to happen. Do you understand the power of it, the authority? The gifts and calling are irrevocable. You're never going to lose your gift or your calling. Never, ever, ever. But the authority of God and the anointing run hand in hand with your obedience and commitment. If you're obedient, the anointing will stay with you. When Saul lost the anointing because he was disobedient, didn't stop being king. He was still a king. He was still called, still had a ministry, but he lost the anointing. The anointing is the fuel. You may still have your car, but it's not going anywhere. You've got no energy, no gas in it. The anointing is the power. The authority of God goes hand in hand with your commitment and obedience to God too. If you're faithful with little, God that you rule over much, more authority. You speak with more authority, the more you commit committed to God and do what he says, the more God will trust you. It's all standard basics, baby stuff still I'm teaching you. Yeah, when it comes to the encounter, it's much, much more intense than this. this is, I want you to, you should all know this stuff by now. So you read, we all read the Bible, we've got the Bible, right? Yeah, good. So he says you must do warfare. When you get a prophetic word, sometimes it's an invitation to you, actually all times, to go to war. Because the devil's going to do all he can to try and mess that word up. Because he's going to try and create fear and doubt inside of you and do everything he can. I mean, God says things and the exact opposite happens. I'm taking you, Israelites, the land of milk and honey. What happens? They get pursued and go through a part of the Red Sea and this desert and it's hail on earth. It's just not fun at all. Do you understand? It was hard on them. This wasn't fun for, for these guys. And that's what God promised them, milk and honey. Where's the milk and honey? God says to Abraham, you're going to have a son. 24 years later. <laughs> Joseph, you're going to be great. First thing that happens, he's win a well. Slave, prison, prison. Exactly the opposite of what God said. So many times uh, the devil will do all he can to wear you down and make you aware of it and trying to create doubt and fear in you. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. Jesus said, the other side. And what happens is a mega storm and they panic. They forget about the other side. It's just a storm all they see. Do you understand? We are fighting. We are fighting a battle in the word of God. You must not forget what, when God gives you a promise, it's a tool, a weapon. All the weapons of God are defensive. The armor of God is all defensive except the sword. It's the only attack weapon you have, which is the word of God. And you fight with God's word. You must know what God said and be sure you know what he said. Don't think, think you know. Make sure you heard it correctly. Because Jesus said to Peter, he said, I, you will become old. And he's prophesying over him in John 21. And Peter's not, not happy with his prophetic word, as many Christians aren't. What about John? What about John's word? Where's John's word? What's it to you if I keep until I come? And a rumor spreads that John's not going to die. And that's not what Jesus said, the scripture says, because they, they misunderstood him. It's very easy to hear what you think you heard. Make sure you get the word, write it out, make sure you understand the word and get, it, get the recording and write it out and make sure you understand what it applies to. When God says in the prophetic word, you're moving, are you moving house, moving job, moving church, what are you moving? Find out and, and walk with the Lord because it's an adventure. It's like an invitation, it's like a signpost. You don't know the whole road, every corner, every bump in the road, every road work, but you know that's a sign, that's where I'm going to. Yes? Yeah, prophetic words is very powerful and very life-giving. It's not an unusual thing in the church. It was very common throughout the church life. It's the only one of the nine gifts we're told to desire and covet more than anything else. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1, follow the way of love, but eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And it's the only gift we're told not to despise. I would have despised healing because I watched my friends stand in front, 100 people, and one person gets healed of a headache. A guy in a wheelchair and, and sick people are dying of cancer. And this one, my headache is gone, yay. And the rest of them are sickly and go back sickly. And it frustrates me. But prophecy, you line up 100 people and 99 are fantastic and they're all excited. And one says, no, that's not right. And that's the one they remember. That's the one they pick on. They forget the 99 good ones. But 
they, the devil wants you to despise prophesying. He wants you to discredit or disregard the word because it's powerful, because he knows how powerful the word is. In fact, when Jesus overcame the devil, he didn't say, bind you, devil. He said, it is written. He used the word. He spoke God's word, which was already established. He spoke the word that nobody could dispute anymore. It is, it's, a, it's a finished. God's word is complete and right. That's what makes the Bible different to any kind of prophecy. Because the, the came through man, the, all the Bible, but it's been tested and tested and tested and proven as God's word and established. There's no more debate. God's word is true. We hope you loved our podcast today. You can find out more about our ministry at RenewLifeChurch.com or you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great rest of your day.